day. Uh, well, I guess it's like a bit of a oops, I did it again because uh, I guess this is the, the new episode of uh, Deep Focus. Um, episode, I, I suppose it's episode two now, um, maybe episode three if you want to uh, think about it that way. Um, if you remember last time, um, I briefly had a podcast called um, Deep Focus. I started many, like almost three years ago, and then I just, it sort of evaporated before it even start, started. Um, I, re, I revitalized, resurrected the, uh, the the name, the deep focus name, and I did a podcast interview with Josh Trank, uh, which you can re, which you can listen to um, uh, from I guess it was last week's or last episode. Um, Josh Trank and uh, his uh, new movie uh, Capone. And, um, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, I had been three year gap between the first one. So I wasn't sure if I was going to be doing, uh, if, uh, deep focus would be a regular thing, but, um, it seems to have already caught fire, um, a little bit, at least for me. And, and so on this episode, uh, I interviewed, uh, Rebecca Hall. She has appeared in already cause it's already on there. Uh, Amazon's, uh, sort of humanist sci-fi show called Tales from the Loop, um, I've already interviewed uh, uh, Mark Romanek, the director from that show, in a print piece. And uh, so I spoke to Rebecca last week um, about Tales from the Loop and her career and everything. In brief, Tales from the Loop is, is as I sort of mentioned, a sort of melancholy humanist uh, sci-fi show that mixes um, um, sort of lo- uh, lo-fi and, 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 and hi-fi in, in a kind of sort of classical, uh, ambiguous world of sci-fi set in, like, the Midwest and, like, Ohio, but it also feels like it's set in the 1970s, but in a world that has, you know, sort of science fiction-y kind of elements to it, but they're kind of low-tech science fiction. It's it's based off of a, a Swedish uh, 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 illustrated uh, book, um, and and the show is... is um, is it's it's quite it's quite amazing it's 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 really good it's uh it's kind of influenced by uh Kieslowski's um the Decalogue in a way this kind of uh anthology series of um of um shows uh, or series that like it's all tied together but in this sort of all connected by this town and various people who live in it and it's all kind of like maybe in the in the abstract it's sort of a kind of about the the tyranny of time I guess as if and maybe if that's a kind of the sort of uh, hoi polloi way of saying it. Um, but it's quite a beautiful, intimate, minimalist uh, uh, show. Um, it's sort of like, you know, that kind of like smart sci-fi that, that people love. Uh, but but instead of a kind of darker edge in a Nolan way, like really len- leaning into a kind of humanist, uh, melancholy kind of bent. It's it's really terrific. It's one of the best shows of the year, I think. But Rebecca and I talked about uh, a lot of things in this chat, you know, her career, um, spanning back up, you know, working with Christopher Nolan on The Prestige um, to lots of things in between. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time purposely about her her parents. She has two famous parents, uh, uh, Peter Hall, who is who is her father, um, was her father. He passed away uh, a few years back. He was a, a famous uh, a, a theater director and her mother, um, her name is escaping me at this very moment, but she's a famous uh, opera singer. Um, but all that stuff is very detailed in, in many different interviews. So we kind of avoided that, just so you know. Um, but, you know, we just got in, in, into the world of, uh, of who she is and, and how she picks roles and what she does. Uh, she's, uh, you know, a really, uh, a, a really uh, fantastic 
fantastic actor who's been in you know so many things that you've seen over the years um you know transcendent uh the prestige uh she's been in a lot of indies lately she was in something like tumble down which showcased some of her musical skills which she has many um and um permission with uh, her friend her good friend dan stevens who keeps kind of popping up in her in her life um which a uh, permission a, a, a kind of a brooklyn set indie um that she also produced it's something she's moving towards um and you know something like uh wonder woman uh, or, uh professor marston and the wonder woman which she started and and, and that sort of had a uh, a big impact on her because she worked with uh, Angela Robinson again, the director and writer of that movie. She, Angela Robinson, is the executive producer on what is uh, Rebecca Hall's upcoming um, directorial debut called uh, Passing. Um, it, it's a really interesting, challenging, kind of brave uh, 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 film on her part. It's an indie, it's in black and white, and it's about, you know, uh, it's based on a. a uh, on Nella Larson's 1920s Harlem Renaissance novel, it explores the practice of racial passing, a term used for a person that's classified a mem- as a member of one racial group which seeks to be accepted by a different racial group. Um, that's a uh, sort of, uh, uh, that's not my definition, but that's something uh, that I've hear, read here on, uh, on on the good old Wikipedias. But, um, you know, and, and it stars Tessa Thompson and R- Ruth Nega. It hasn't come out yet. Maybe we'll see it. At a festival, she's unclear as to as to where that's going to premiere and when, because obviously this year is kind of nutty. Her grandfather and her mother are biracial, and there's a lot of um, which she'll she'll tell you about. But there's a lot of issues of uh, of identity and sort of of their own kind of maybe shame or cover up or just a lot of uh, complicated issues of, of their own identity and, and maybe some of the things that they did to to fit in and, and, and maybe not co- completely acknowledge um, their, their, their true identity or, or, or the parts of their identity. It's really complicated. It's really interesting. It's something that I think by the sounds of it in our conversation, Rebecca really had to grapple with and really come to terms with and try and understand and, and, and why her her um, her mother and her grandfather were the way they were about their identity, and I think she's really tried to work that out in this film. So it's it's really interesting. Obviously, it's not out yet, but um, maybe we'll see it this year. Maybe I'll see it next year. It's it sounds to me as something like, I mean, I guess it all depends on where film festivals are at and if the film is finished. Because she said she was in post, but it strikes me as something that it could sounds like it it could either premiere at like a TIFF or a Sun Sundance, depending on again uh where uh the world is this conversation was recorded last week uh right as um some of the uh black lives matters protests were were spilling out everywhere and we kind of talked a lot about that at the beginning uh you know just sort of the state of the world and where things are at and and then kind of use that as a launching pad to explore um you know other things about you know where we are with empathy in the world and and how that applies to her as an actor um Anyhow, so I'm going on, but yeah, I think I think this is a really good conversation. I'm sort of in the groove of of, of deep focus now. Um, I'm sort of looking forward to making this a a, a continual thing, hopefully uh, um, as often as possible. And I've actually got uh, episode three in the can for next week, which is uh, Catherine Hahn, which we'll talk about soon. This episode of Deep Focus is brought to you by National Geographic. Uh, National Geographic's most Emmy Award-winning reality series, Life Below Zero, has been giving viewers chills 
as an audience favorite for more than 100 episodes, the BBC Studios series follows a group of tough-ass Alaskans as they battle white-out snowstorms, unpredictable frozen terrain, and man-eating carnivores in one of the most isolated regions in the world. Like the cast they cover, the Emmy-winning crew are some of the most toughest individuals in the business and must battle incredible challenging conditions to film in insanely harsh conditions. Life Below Zero is for consideration for Outstanding Unstructured Reality Program and all other eligible categories. For more information, visit natgeotv.com slash FYC. That's short for uh, an acronym for uh, for your consideration. So yes, National Geographic, our sponsor this week. Um, I won't dilly-dally any longer. Uh, thanks for hearing me rambling. Uh, this is Rebecca Hall in uh, episode, I guess, uh, two of... Uh, uh, the newly revamped uh, Deep Focus podcast. All right, thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the conversation. How are you doing in all this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, re- I don't know the answer to that question anymore. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like saying fine or, you know, I don't know. Everyone, everyone's going through a lot of, uh, everyone's going through it in one way or another. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've, I'm, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a nice situation and my two year old is marvelous and she's well and healthy and everyone around me is well and healthy, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm pretty like, uh, devastated by everything going on, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, we're all, many of us anyhow, not all of us, but many of us are in a, in a place of a privilege that we're not sick. We have homes, yeah. we have jobs. And yet everything feels, I think devastating is a pretty good word. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just, it's very alarming to, to, I guess to be, I mean, I don't know how to articulate this. I'm still wrapping my head around everything that's happening. I, you know, I'm, I'm following events closely. I would be, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to come from a country, you know, I was raised in a country, but in, in England. Yeah. But my mother's American. My mother's black. Right. Although she's very white-skinned and has, but she is of an African-American heritage. She's, she's a black woman. And she is, you know, I have no lived experience in a black body, but I, it, it doesn't stop me feeling something from, in the same way that it just the, just the lack of care in this country for people who don't have enough money right now is startlingly obvious and it's uh it's just upsetting sorry i shouldn't i probably shouldn't be doing an interview right now (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking the same thing about myself (laughs) you know this sort of is going to be sound heady but you know so so as i see it and and you can tell me how you see it but like half the world to me is is moving towards empathy and sort of moving towards, or maybe like maybe we should say America. Maybe we shouldn't put the whole world. But it feels yeah. like to me that half the world is moving towards empathy in America, and more empathy for those that haven't been afforded that in the past. And then mm-hmm. half the country seems to be very resistant to that, and or the idea that you know empathy is a kind of like a pie that has only so many slices to go around and doesn't expand or whatever you know whatever that notion <laughs> is. But then what I wanted to think, I was thinking about this a lot today. And then I just thought about you as an actor and, and, and given what actors are supposed to do, which is, I, I assume, which is always find empathy for their characters and the situation and the characters around them. How do you, how do you feel about that with this sort of maybe conflict of empathy? Meanwhile, that's sort of your, 
it's my stock in trays. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think every I think all human beings are are innately empathetic. I think it's you know it gets hidden, it gets covered up, it gets conditioned. But I think you know I think we actually at a base level, maybe not sociopaths, but (laughs) we're quite good at it. You know, I uh, I don't know, I, I don't know. I think you're right. I just think that everything that's happening in this country right now and being somewhat of an expat. I mean, I am American, but yes, this isn't my country of birth. And I, I have a somewhat of an outside eye on it because I come from a country that has a welfare state. It's mm-hmm. gone down the plug hole and <laughs> is is really you know is deeply confused right now and a mess. But it has a history of caring for people, and there, it's just so startling to me to be living in a country where all these things are happening. That's clearly an expression of the fact that the nation has been organized to protect the interests of wealthy white people for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there are huge swaths of people that are not being cared for or protected or helped. And that's just insanity to me. It's insanity to me that we can put so much money into a, into a, you know, a, we can put so much money into a, a, a police department that is, in, in, in many senses, taught to treat their jobs like they're living in an occupied war zone when actually, you know, when they're not trained to look after people that are have mental health issues, who are homeless, who are a, a whole swathe of situations that should be dealt with by social care. Yeah. And we should be reallocating those resources. And it's just so clear to me that this is just, this has been a boil that has been they're festering for so long. And at the core of this, of course, is race, is racism, is the fact that this, it's not a flawed system, this is the system. It's, and it's, it's, it's the same and it's got to be addressed. And if this is an opportunity to lance the boil, then hallelujah. And now I should really stop talking about it. <laughs> let me, let me, let me pivot to this. I find many actors tend to be either a kind of a journalist or a therapist, or an investigator, in terms of uh, how they approach their roles, and does that does any of those ring true to you? As when you're when you're researching a role, or you're trying to in, you know engage in something, someone's you know you're into the role, as it were. Yeah, I think I'm. What were the what were the ones you listed? A journalist or a I, therapist? I said, I personally, it was journalist, therapist, or investigator. But maybe it's all a little. Um, and, and maybe I think it's probably a little of all of them. I don't see how you can avoid having a little of all of them. I don't. I don't think that I. I think that I probably of all three of them, the least of which applies to me is that I don't go into jobs looking for therapy. Although I come out the other side invariably realizing something about myself that I did in the first place but it's not something that I actively I don't I I think it can be a sort of dangerous path I think I used to do that when I was younger and that sort of catharsis can be a bit uh complicated (laughs) I'd actually meant it it as trying to understand people oh yeah that for sure behavior well that I take as a given like as a as a sort of as a as a larger given I don't I don't see how you um that is the job isn't it I think (laughs) I don't know you're the actor not me (laughs) no it is but I think it is and I think that all of the things that you said are part of it like you can't understand people without a little bit of investigation and journalism and therapy (laughs) 
Right. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this sort of paraphrasing, but I was listening to a few interviews and, and this week spent my, you know, it was a Rebecca Hall week for me with a lot of rewatching and watching and interviews and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually enjoyable. So don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, there was something you said, and I'm, and I'm very loosely paraphrasing, but it was something about the idea of commitment and, and the kind of the, in, in research, and and um, finding like the one way that you know is sort of the truthful way into this role, and as a human being, you could possibly take other routes because some could fear you could be you know might have a sense of fear or whatever it is, but generally you you'd found that there's one true way for you uh, um, that for a certain role, and I wanted to use that as sort of an idea to sort of loop off uh, to jump into to tales from the loop. Mm. And, and which I really love, by the way, which I thought was very beautiful and, and, and really, um, it really spoke to me. Um, and the, the kind of the one truth or the one way that you think is the, the way to approach that character in that role. She was really, uh, she was an interesting one because it was very clear to me what the issue was with her. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think, you know, to, to go back to what you were saying before, sometimes I think there's a certain amount of, investigative work that you have to do as an actor mm-hmm. and then try and expose that in your performance and explain why someone behaves how they behave um, through choices and how you play them, I guess. But um, sometimes you don't have to worry about that and you can just play the tougher aspects of a character because it's sort of explained without you or um, having to do anything. And in the case of Loretta, it's, it's sort of clear in episode one, exactly what, you know, why she is who she is. Um, she would just like, she, I found her very appealing somehow because, mm-hmm. and I guess it's a bit of a theme if I'm being completely honest with myself, like I'm, I'm always attracted to these characters that are, are clearly very feeling and emotional and passionate, but have somehow been, you know, somehow, somewhere along the line, they've been forced to put up some sort of defence mechanism. It means that you have to hide all of that. Because that's a sort of interesting challenge for me. If you, you know, the whole the whole thing about being on camera is this, you know, is this sort of, this idea of minimalism, and smallness, and you, the camera finds you and all the rest of it. And it's always struck me as a sort of interesting dilemma. It's like, how do you be incredibly small and and show the thing that's not being said. Um, you know, how do you how do you be loud whilst being completely silent? Right. Well, which is very much what that kind of show is like. I feel it's, a it's and that's exactly what the tone of the show is like. So it was obviously very appealing to me. <laughs> so that must be a, a, a real challenge then, because it, you know she she is fair. I mean, we, like you said, you you we know her problems, and at the same time, they're very quiet and they're internalized and. And she's got this sort of quiet melancholy with her, as as yeah. many of the characters in the in the yeah. series. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I'm I'm always I'm always attracted to the the ones with the quiet melancholy. Don't ask me why. So in the abstract, and and let's put the idea of like you know put put aside the idea that freelancers often need jobs, and that's not always not always a consideration many of us give actors. I find no, but, but it's true. By the way, good point. Well done for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because it's like you know. Uh, many of the times, like I suppose, audiences may not want to give empathy 
to you guys because of how lucky you can be. But that's oh, not absolutely. The it's the most oversubscribed profession in the world. It's very, you're very lucky to be working. But uh, to that end, you sort of feel that you should take every job that comes to you sometimes. Right, right, right. So, yeah, that's what I'm sort of getting at. So, <laughs> what makes you want to take on a role in general, putting aside the, you know, <laughs> people like, need jobs? and, and Basic and, concern and, of living. <laughs> I couldn't live, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's has to, um, it has to appeal to one of three criteria. I think, is it going to be fun? Am I going to learn something? Is it going to take me somewhere interesting? Um, and if it, if it has one or more of those, then I'm in, if it has one of those, then I'll, you know, do a bit more investigation. And, and, you know, and I think that, and then the, there's the sort of overarching one that I apply on top of all of those three thing, other things, which is, is it something that I'd like to watch? Which can sometimes win out over the role, honestly. Like sometimes there are, there are th- there's something about the thing that strikes me as artistically interesting and I just want to be a part of it. You know, it's not always because it's such a challenging role or whatever. You know, right. all the things that we always say. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, okay, the role is, yeah, but, you know, I, it's a thing that I actually think is, is, is worthwhile and want to be a part of. So to that end, what do you think you might have learned or what was the kind of the draw for, for, for Tales of the Loop, aside from that character? I, Loop I, I, was, a, was, a, was a lot. It was, it was a role that was fascinating. It yeah. was definitely the fact that the, the, the project itself felt very refreshing and unusual and had a lot of artistic merit and ambition and and that I think that was the thing that really got me I think there's so I mean I I like genre pieces I like sci-fi I I like all these things um and I think there's a very sort of trendy uh sci-fi high concept movement going on in television right now which I really enjoy things like Legion or Black Mirror or um I guess Legion isn't sci-fi, but you know what I mean. High yeah, yeah. Stuff. And I, and I think I love those things and I love those shows, but I think there is a sort of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a darkness to them. There's like a sort of dark edge or a sort of uh, an inherent um, kind of uh, ironic sort of strand running through it. And I, I found it, which I, don't get me wrong, I love, but I found something quite, interesting about the fact that this was of that ilk but its sort of base note was one of emotional sincerity um and humanity which i thought was quite brave and refreshing frankly like it it wasn't you know it didn't come down to something sort of dark it came down to something quite heartfelt and and attempted to just talk about very real things that we all go through grief and just the the problems of time passing and and change in all its aspects, good and bad, um, through a high concept genre. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, like, you know, I I I'm going to be a little bit funny and pretentious here. And like, I was looking back at something I'd written in the review, and I was like, oh my god, that's really kind of uh, pretentious. But and 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 then what I wonder, right? Well, I, I I said it was about. <laughs> here I am quoting myself. That's very 
uh, uh, arrogant and pretentious, but I, I wrote, it was like, it was about, and I meant this in a very extremely positive way, that it was like about the relentless tyranny of time and all, and all that its slow erosion eventually takes from us. Exactly, um, yeah. And, and, but as an actor, that's so abstract. Like, I mean, obviously that's what a show can put, be put together with music and everything and all these things. There's, Cause that's kind of the melancholy of it, right? This like, this sort of yeah. idea of like all these beautiful things that we have, but we know, like, I kind of feel like that's the underlying feeling of the show, which I find quite beautiful, but it's sort of this like, we know all this is not going to last, you know, whether it's our family or our loved ones or our parents or children or, you know, and in no, I mean, honestly, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head of what was so appealing about it to me is is it was the the philosophy of it that you know that when you're talking about quantum physics, particle physics, whatever theoretical <laughs> physics, it's often about time, wow. and to take that and sort of flip it into its sort of metaphorical relative and sort of make a show about the fact that time is the biggest problem about being a human. Cause it is, cause if it weren't for time then we wouldn't die and things that were good wouldn't get bad and vice versa. Um, and also vice versa, <laughs> like things that were bad wouldn't get good. So it's, it's just a very kind of, it's a very beautiful sort of poetical device actually. For sure. I guess my I question is, as an actor, I sound like Winnie the Pooh. I've been listening to too much Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I, I, 100%. I guess my question is, as an actor, is is it, those are all these, you know, sort of abstract, like, ephemeral, wonderful, phil- philosophical ideas, but they can be sometimes start hard to um, crystallize, right? Yeah, but I don't have to do any of that. I mean, you, you know, don't don't forget, I'm still a consumer of art. Like, I still I still sort of, you know, it's, it's important to understand all those things because I want to feel them too, and I want to experience you know, that, but I can't play it. You're right. You know, I just play the thing. I just play the scene. Right. Um, right. I'd spoken to uh, Mark Romanek uh, mm. a few weeks back. Um, we had a good, good chat about this and he was telling me um, about an actor on set who had to cry and it was this beautiful scene. And, uh, uh, and, you know, he was like, you know, thinking about the actor, but the actor was, was, uh, uh, you know, talking about, uh, a recipe or something and then, <laughs> and, then, and then when the scene came the, the director was sort of a little bit worried how are we going to get to this but you know the scene came and the, the the emotionality and the tears came immediately and and obviously that was you <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say was that me <laughs> it was so so tell me a little bit about that the craft of it and and and, and the precision of it and 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 obviously the the ability to channel these these things and and I guess tell me a little bit about that because that is as uh, as uh, as a human who's very empathetic that part of it is, is obviously I don't act so, so that part's interesting to me that kind of the ability the technique I guess yeah I don't know people ask me about this all the time and I have no idea Mark Roman actually asked me about it a lot he kept saying how do you how do you do that how can you be telling a joke and then go into it I don't I don't know there are some uh my my dad he was a theatre director and he worked a lot with Judy Dench and she had I mean she was the sort of the queen of this um because she would frequently you know she's a, a notorious practical joker um notorious like we cannot stop and in a rehearsal room she's just she's hilarious and all over the place and you just and then you know he says okay let's do the scene now I watched this happen several times and suddenly she just slips into it and it's 
breathtaking and you're in tears within 30 seconds. I mean, not her, we are watching it. Right. Now, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to that, but I think there are <laughs> schools of actor that, that work in this way and, and in a sense have to be somewhere else so that they don't, um, I think, check themselves too much or that they remove the element of self-consciousness and they just dive headfirst into the emotion, whatever it is. And there, there's another school of actor that, that needs to be fully immersed in it all the time. Wow. And I think that I flipped quite fluidly between the two according to what the job or the mood or the day, honestly. And I don't know if it's technique. I don't think it is. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think it's just sort of listening to myself and letting it be. I know that if I get in my head too much sometimes, then it can stop the thing happening. And I don't know what the thing is. Acting is very, very strange. I don't know. Like, it's, a, and it's, a, it's a very strange thing to talk about because I, who knows really like who knows why um you know people are able to imagine themselves to be other people and then immediately start feeling what they're feeling I don't I don't know like I said I think we can all do it actually um and it's this thing that we just forget how to do well sometimes it's, a, it's, it, it's it's well I don't know but it strikes me as as it's a lot about immersion at first and then being ready and prepared on the day for for whatever that, that has always been my mantra and my school of thought you know I, I work very very fastidiously and obsessively prior to shooting far more than I do on set and then when I turn up I have a you know a strong understanding that I've done all the, the homework and I know who the person is and the best thing that I can do is just be free to let the instinctive part kick in and and have no idea what's going to happen and I think that's when I do my best work, I think when I know what's going to happen and when I try and plot it out too much, it's not as good and I don't like it. Um, and I've done both, but, you know, so that's, that's sort of where I land. You know, I do all the work beforehand and then I turn up on the day and I'm more likely to be chatting and cracking jokes up until someone calls action. <laughs> I wanted to jump back a little bit into the past and, and some of the, your body of work and stuff like that. And I thought one, <laughs> easy way my, uh, to be to do it would be like you know we're all at a you know I'm sure you found yourself in that way too where you know you're at a party and someone asks what you do and then someone might not actually know you might not know you know, or may not have seen it for whatever because maybe they don't watch movies or something and 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 if someone were to not met someone you were if you were to meet someone at a party and they didn't know your work and they didn't know who you are and they asked you what are three films you would recommend them to watch to understand you as an actor what would those three films be and why? Mm. Presuming that they wouldn't be able to go into the stage and, you know. <laughs> yeah, presuming that they wouldn't be able to do that in this. Yeah. I, it happens to me all the time, by the way. People never recognize me, which I'm very, I'm very proud of. Um, I, uh, I would probably say Christine mm-hmm. yeah. and Parade's End. It's a TV show, but. Yeah, the HBO. Need something English. Um, and Vicky Christina Barcelona, probably. Right. Uh, or Please Give. Oh, I love that one. Please Give is actually one of my favorites. Um, I, just, I just talked to Nicole Hollis Center last week as well. You did? Yeah, I did. I love that woman. Her, yeah, so do I. <laughs> her, uh, her, uh, uh, that film and, and two others are on the Criterion Collection uh, mm-hmm. right now, and they're, they're presenting them on uh, the Criterion channel, the streaming channel. Um, and uh, that one in particular was a very, 
the really interesting one about empathy as well and the ideas of like, you know, the kind of, and sort of uh, a lot of the characters, well, at least your character somehow have that kind of guilt, right? That sense of like wanting to give and wanting to share. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great film. I really love it. And Vicky Christina, I'm assuming being that it was sort of one of your, I mean, fairly early big roles, right? And you're thrown into this thing with, you know, this big director and these big stuff. Yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. It was a really sort of a huge turning point in my life. Um, I mean, I really had done virtually nothing. So it was, you know, the things that I had done weren't out yet. So it was sort of, it was sort of a small miracle to get a title role in a Woody Allen film. And and it was an incredible experience. Um. Uh, and you had worked with, had you worked with Christopher Nolan at that point by then? I I had, but just, and it hadn't come out yet. The Prestige, yeah. Right. And did you have a sense, which I, I, I'm, you know, I, I think we recognized Christopher Nolan as Christopher Nolan back then, but I don't remember. Oh yeah, no, no, we did. But not, not I mean, he hadn't done, he hadn't done the, the, you know, the big temple stuff yet. He hadn't done. I mean, did we have an understanding of, I, I'm trying to think what he'd done just prior to it. I think he'd done one Batman movie, right? But it, no, no, no. He'd done Memento. Is it Memento? Yeah. Right. And that was the thing that everyone was like, he's an incredible director. So he, he, hadn't, done, like, he hadn't done Batman or anything like that. Yet. Um, and it was, so it was maybe his third or fourth film. Right. Uh, but yeah, he, he, so I didn't, so he wasn't, it wasn't, didn't have quite the same sort of like, um, good God, what's happening to my life moment that Woody Allen did at that time in Christopher Nolan's career. But it was extraordinary because I'd done, I'd been on tour doing a theatre job for a long time. And then I did, got my first film, which was a a British comedy called Start of the Ten. And at the same time that I got cast in that, I was auditioning for Christopher Nolan and I sent a you know, I sent a self-tape. It wasn't even a digital style self-tape. It was like how you had to do on a bad camcorder and then FedEx it. I mean, it was a real, like, it, was, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I remember it really well because my friend Dan Stevens, who's also an actor, shot it. And then we sent it off thinking, well, that's hilarious. That's never going to come to anything. And then I got a call, you know, a week later or whatever saying that I had to fly to LA to audition with Christian Bale, which was surreal truly surreal yeah. <laughs> um and then I got that so I do sort of think of that sort of cluster of films as being very much the sort of first things that I did where I was very um very green to movie making as an actor was that like a was that like a chemistry chemistry test or whatever they call those <laughs> yeah yeah it was and I didn't I really didn't know what was going to happen I'd not I'd been to LA a lot because my, yeah. my mother used to sing opera at LA Opera when I was a kid. So I would spend a lot of time in LA actually um, when I was little. Right. Um, but I hadn't, and I'd also, the As You Like It that I was in went to the Amundsen um, just prior to that. So I, I'd spent some time in LA, but really on the peripheries of the film industry. So I had no, I had no idea. I didn't have a movie agent at the time. I was just oh, wow. getting one. I had, I had a British agent, but I didn't have one of the like, you know, big American uh, agencies yeah, or anything like that. I was very much a, a Brit trying to, you know, do the thing. So it was all, it was all quite, it was an interesting period. <laughs> there's a lot of, um, in general, I think there's a lot of surreality sometimes to acting in terms of the, um, you know, just the, or the awkwardness that can be, that, that, that comes along with the job and sort of things. And then I was watching, I realized that you were 
in high maintenance very briefly. And it's yeah. a show I, I really enjoy and I, I watch I all love the high maintenance. Yeah, it's really good, right? <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. I, I love the way they, well, I mean, so, so then your episode is, is, is they always find a, a really interesting corner and slice of life and dissect yeah. it. And, and yours is an interesting one that uh, it made me think about so many different things because yeah. it's about, an, you know, you've got a tiny part in it there, but it's about an intimacy coach and, and the life of an intimacy coach. Yeah, I've been wanting to be on that show forever. I've been, I'm friends with Ben and Katja and have been for years who make it. And oh, no. they, you know, I've been saying forever, please, I'll do anything. Just put me on it. <laughs> So finally they were like, all right, begrudgingly. <laughs> right, sure, I'm sure, yeah. Oh, God, we got to find a role for you. Oh, that's it was a it. bit like that, though. I mean, it, it had got to a point where I was like, why haven't you actually asked me to be on it? This is a bit, this is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> but, but so then, you know, even just a brief little part, like showing the mechanics of, of going, you know, which I think is, I, I find fascinating for probably a lot of audiences do do because it's, it's such a new term. And then there's the idea of the mechanics of a love scene mm. and then, and then watching the mechanics of like practice it out, but actually not doing it. And then I just started thinking about like, you know, some of the sex scenes that you've been in or anybody's mm. that you've been mm. in and, and tell me about not necessarily that, like not the salation, <laughs> but the idea of like, can I have an intimacy coordinator for this conversation? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> They're fairly new, right? You've got to, I've got to imagine you've done uh, scenes without sex scenes or love scenes without an intimacy, intimacy coordinator. I have never done a sex scene with an intimacy coordinator. It's that new. Oh, oh wow, wow. It's that new. No one has thought to do this until now, which right. actually, when you think about it, is insanity. It's totally insanity, uh-huh. right? It's like, <laughs> I was watching, you know, Professor Marston and 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 the and the Wonder Woman and and yeah, and then I because I've been all the sort of living all this stuff and then I got to the intimacy coat and it's funny that you you're saying you haven't done it because yeah, it's like it it really seems like insanity that like wow how how have actors not done this before like what did they they do they were left on their own I guess right yeah it's really awkward it's really awkward I was, there's an actor called Simon Russell Beale a brilliant theatre actor in England mm-hmm. and. He, he always had a funny bit about access to sex scenes because he, always, he'd always say, but, you know, when I run on camera, it's how I run. And when I eat on camera, it's how I eat. So when I make sex noises on camera, <laughs> like, oh, God, it really is awful. Anyway, but, <laughs> and... It's it's nuts. It's nuts that it's not ever really been um, objectively organised, I think. And for so long, it's just been this sort of thing of, you know, directors get really uncomfortable because they want to make you, they don't want to suggest anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. Right. So oftentimes it's it becomes this sort of weird free-for-all where the director doesn't want to tell you how to do it. So, you you know, you just have to sort of, pray that you have a great relationship with your fellow actor and you sort of work it out between you in a way that sort of you know uh consensual and comfortable but it it's it's very it can be very murky and it's really I think a really good development to have a another party in the room who just turns it into a kind of choreographed thing rather than this sort of loosey-goosey thing but you know having said all that yeah. all the sex scenes that I've done have have been fine actually there's never been anything um actually especially the master ones the master ones were, were hilarious we, right. we like, laughed our way through all of them 
It did seem like you guys were having. <laughs> That's what also I find interesting about that movie. It's sort of uh, obviously it's it's obviously about many of these things, but mm. you know, the, the the grappling with certain things and 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 taking off the ideas of shame and and mm. and uh, embracing the ideas that sex and love and these things can be fun and and even if they seem transgressive to others, there can be joy and love in them. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I loved I loved that film for that message, and I that, that story is just incredible, and just so many uh, interweaving narratives. You know, the fact that they also not only were they in a polyamorous relationship, they were into it like in a you know a, an S and M relationship, and also uh, all these various kinks, and they invented the lie detector. So I mean, they're just very and cool. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that I take is a and this kind of Wonder Woman thing, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I definitely think on the way it's written, it's it's quite beautiful in the way it's all these layers sort of interweave. Mm. Yeah, I always thought it was very um I always thought it was very clever that Angela Robinson, who made that film, you know, decided to approach it like a very sort of plush sort of heritage romantic Hollywood film, you know, that's oh. very classical in a way. Um, and it just sort of lures you in and to a very unconventional uh, narrative, which I think was very clever and brilliant. And and uh, uh, obviously you you had some sort of good relationship with her working on her because she's uh, she's executive produced your uh, your directorial debut. Yeah, she's she is uh, extraordinary, and I love her to bits. And she's a, an extraordinary director, extraordinary person. Um, yeah, and I'm very, very lucky that she's been one of my champions as a director. And it's I owe her an awful lot, honestly. Uh, she really uh, pushed me to do it. Um, her and Oren Movement. Oh, nice. I like uh, that. Two people who I, you know, directed, as, that I worked with as, as an actor and, and showed them the script. And they said, you know, you've got to make it. And Angela was you you have to make it there's no option and I'll be involved in any way you want me to to help get it done and she was really instrumental in a lot of it um so I have a huge debt to that woman right tell so t- tell me a, a little bit I you know tell 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 me a little bit about that and and sure. then your your you know uh passing obviously your director director yeah. it's not out yet it's gonna hopefully maybe be out sometime this this year who knows yeah, who yeah. knows i just um i'm still in post-production in in whatever way that you can be in post-production mm-hmm. right now right um, so, so tell me about that and and then and then what made you want to tell that story um obviously um conversations about you know uh, passports and permissions to tell s- stories, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ideas of, you know, you know, whatever you want to call it, cultural appropriation come up, but mm-hmm. you obviously have uh, a, a real window into that given mm-hmm. the history of your parents. Tell me, tell me, tell me about all of that. I feel like it's a really interesting, and I, I, it seems like I started hearing about there in my research going back, like I've heard about this maybe as, as far it's been mentioned as far back as like something like 2016 or something. So it seems like something that's been really in your, consciousness or in your brain for a long time yeah well I, it's based on a novella by a woman called Mella Larson mm-hmm. she wrote it in 1929 it's about two black women who are able to uh, pass for white and one makes a choice to do it 
entirely and has married a white man who's a racist and is fully um, immersed in a white world and the other has chosen not to and lives in Harlem and is married to a black man and has two children and you know is is very active in uh you know like in the book it's called the Negro Welfare League Uh, but you know like an equivalent of NAACP um and it's a Harlem Renaissance novella uh, the story is essentially about how these two women's lives intersect. They were at high school together and they've not seen each other. They've lost touch and at the beginning of the film they run into each other. And it becomes a story of many, many, many parts. It's, it's not just about this decision to cross the colour line as much as it is also a story about all the various ways in which we create personas and pass for things in life and construct identities um, that are external to ourselves or don't match up to the things that we want or choose. Um, It's about the performance of femininity. It's about the performance of sexuality um there's a strong you could say there's a strong homosexual under girding a little bit um it's about many many things i but primarily it's about it's a has a racial context obviously i first read the book when i was about 25 maybe 23 somewhere between 23 and 25 i was just coming to terms with the fact that my family on my mother's side were from Detroit, Michigan, and were black and didn't really talk about it. (laughs) And it was strange for me growing up in this sort of very, uh, very, very, very privileged, um, some would call it bohemian artistic, whatever you want to say, sort of, countryside white life um laura ashley and chintz and all the rest of it (laughs) and uh my mother was always very um she's a she's a very extraordinary person she's an extraordinary talent and you know there's there's a lot that's very mysterious about her and extraordinary i don't know how else to put it but i didn't you know, this was a thing that was not hidden from me exactly, but also hidden from me. It wasn't talked about. And when I did get a little older, you know, I would have these (sighs) conversations with my mother where it would come up, you know, and, or I'd look at a picture of her and I'd say, hang on a minute. Can we talk about Mm -hmm. how you began, where you came from, what this, and you know, sometimes she would say yes, and sometimes she would say no. And, and I understand the reasons, and I understand because her father didn't talk about it. He was likely passing for white. His parents were both likely, probably passing for white. And I don't, still don't know enough about it. But I feel that the the legacy of that choice, the, which is sadly, tragically, a sort of internalization of some sort of shame. Yeah. Is, is a very potent force in a family. And when I was beginning to 
come to terms with this. Someone handed me this book and said, you're going to, you're going to find this book interesting. (laughs) And I read this book and I was so, so moved. And I understood these women, even though it sort of reads like, sometimes you think it's like street corner desire. Sometimes you think it's, you know, there are all these things. It's way, way, way ahead of its time. And certainly how we talk about sort of intersectionalism and all these things, this book is it. And I was so, I don't know, I was so drawn to it. And I understood the women and I knew that I had no right to. Like, I didn't understand why the hell I understood these women, but I knew that I had, that I did. And I, as an exercise in trying to get my head around that, I sat down and I adapted it into a screenplay. And as I was adapting into a screenplay, there were several things that became more and more crystal clear. The fact that I've always wanted to direct a film. The fact that my love of film is very much rooted in a in a in a a kind of unfashionable old school black and white way of making movies and then it became clear to me that the film had to be made in black and white then it became clear to me that the film had to look a certain way that it had to be framed a certain way that it had to have the kind of ratio of old movies Mm. and it had to and I could see every shot and you know, slowly the picture started emerging of how completely I would make this film. And I knew every part of it, including how I would score it, um, which has all remained, actually, funnily enough. And, and I then got very frightened when I did finished it and I threw it in a drawer and I thought, well, that's, that's a very ambitious thing to do. Like, if your first film can't be a period film that's, that takes on enormous issues and is in black and white and is, you know, all these things. And I was kind of frightened of it. So I sort of, I sort of tucked it away thinking, well, maybe I'll come to that one day. And then as I got older, I had a baby. I got into a more of a sort of, uh, you know, I don't care mentality, <laughs> I guess, a little bit. Um, and by the way, in the sort of last 10 years, I did maybe starting seven years ago, I did start slowly showing it to people and saying, you know, do you, I want to make this at some point. Do you think this is makeable? How would, you know, what would be the budget? How could I get the money for this? And everyone university said to me, well, it's great. It's wonderful, but you'll never get it made. Um, and that continues. And I, and again, that was something that sort of made me retreat, made me retreat. Right. And then in the last three years, I got a little angry about that because I met Tessa Thompson and I met Ruth Mega and they read the script and they agreed to do it. And well, then I was like, well, now I've got to get it made. Like they, they believe in me. They want to do it. They're going to be phenomenal in this. I've got to get this thing made. And it became a real uh, dog with a bone situation. And it was not easy to get the funding for it because, you know, for a lot of reasons, but black and white also is not a very fundable thing for someone's first film. So it's been a, it's been a hard road. And, uh, you know, yeah, of course, this question of whether I have the right to tell this story is something that's been on my mind from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and it has everything to do with who I choose to produce the film, who I hire, who I cast. It's absolutely informed the whole process. It's produced by Nini Yang and and Forrest Whitaker. And, you know, there are are a lot of people who are really, uh, who support this. And I I worried about it and I still worry about it. And of course, the very reasons that I was so drawn to this material and so committed to making this film are the same reasons that it will never be a settled question. (laughs) You know, the choice my grandfather made to pass 
I've said this already, but it, it meant that blackness in my family was passed down as, as denial and evasion. And so that part of my identity is and probably will always remain elusive, you know, and I recognize that confusion in this story, not just because of my family, but because of my experience as a woman um, playing the various roles that women are asked to play in this world. And, you know, in a certain way, it's very straightforward. This story felt true to me and my experience. And so I needed to tell it. So I can only put this movie out into the world in the hope that the film speaks for itself and that the people in it are recognizable and that there is some truth in it that people who see it can relate to. And I hope that it, and I hope that it does. I can't wait to see it. I mean, it sounds, it sounds so rich. It sounds so. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I have to say it it was, it was an ambitious undertaking, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I think that, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger and Andre Holland are phenomenal in it. I'm just completely, I have such a sort of newfound respect for actors. Um, and watching them all work, it's just very humbling. I mean, they're just extraordinary actors. It must be. So it's interesting, you know, you, you know, you have, you've never directed a film before, or at least a feature, and then you know, you're jumping into this. But at the same time, actors obviously understand actors and, and that kind of the, uh, the sort of, non-verbal or kind of uh, I don't know you know that kind of ineffable thing about acting that that you, you can kind of communicate with them that maybe like a filmmaker who might be the greatest filmmaker in the world <laughs> you know the greatest compositions in the world but you know even Stanley Kubrick was maybe not most the most sensitive human being in the whole world you know he might have known images better than anybody but you know yeah I mean I, I don't know I don't know I think sometimes I think it goes both ways honestly I think I think there were days where I was you know, the thing that I have is I have a tremendous respect for actors and I have a respect for what they do and I'm not going to tell them how to do it. It's sort of, but then on the other hand, I also know the times when I want to be told what to do. So, you know, I would, I would employ both, both swings of the pendulum, I think. (laughs) People like the line reading when they're like, not sure where they need to be. Yeah. It's not really about a line reading, but definitely I think you've got it. You've got to, you've got to be able to read what people need. You've got to be able to see, I mean, really the job of, of directing a film seems to me, I mean, I don't know from making one, this is what I've gleaned, but who knows, it could change. But it seems to me you, you, you have the film in your head and then the job is making sure that everyone knows that they're making the same film, you know, and it's just an endless sort of repetition. It's just describing it, describing it, describing it, describing it to everybody. Because especially if it's tonally complex, you can't, you can't afford for someone to, assume that they're making a different film to the one that's in your head <laughs> is, is part of the impetus uh for for i mean obviously there's a personal thing here for you that really drew you but it's part, part of the impetus of wanting to um direct a little bit of that sometimes the frustration that many actors have when you know they're sort of like they can be or they can feel sometimes that they're a cog in the wheel sometimes <laughs> I kind of like being a cog in the wheel when I'm being an actor. It's, it's okay. You know, I, I sort of, I find it interesting. I'm just sort of watching everything and, and letting, you know, it's someone else's, the, the larger picture is it's up to them. It's their vision. And I'm just sort of, you know, doing my best to tell the story and I'm sort of interested in seeing what that person's vision is. I don't think that I, you know, I don't, I don't think I've done, I don't think I've transitioned into directing out of some sort of frustration with acting. I love acting. I think it's great. I don't have any problems with it whatsoever. I just don't think I've ever really considered myself only an actor. I've, you know, I've always 
painted, I've always played music, I've always wanted to make a film because it combines all of these artistic elements and, you know, and, and it, it's a way of expressing yourself that seems to me com- complete. And it's all, it's the thing that I've wanted to do my whole life. Um, I've just, I've just spent a long time getting there. Um, it makes me think of, of, of Tumble Down. And I wonder if you have a secret music career in you somewhere. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I sometimes sing with a band, but it's very low key and I never tell anyone about it. <laughs> well, so it's one of those things where like a band shows up in Brooklyn and they're playing and unannounced, you know, you just happen to come up on stage and it yeah. has happened so <laughs> that is what happens okay. so you just have to be lucky enough to to be there huh well i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um i want to ask you uh what uh you know you've obviously worked with all these great directors you worked with steven spielberg you worked with christopher nolan you worked with angela robinson uh what are some of the things that you've you've gleaned and, and learned from from these people that you wanted to apply into making your own film well, every single one of them, you learn something. It's it's impossible, but you know, I I do think that that experience is really the best kind of school that you can get. Um, and so I feel I've had a lot. And everyone is so different. You know, every approach to filmmaking is so different. And I've seen lots of different styles. And it's, I, I think, a lot of it is just when you see someone doing it a certain way, then it gives you permission to both do it that way and to decide not to. Um, and I feel very lucky that I've seen a lot of it. You know, you learn something like, you know, you work on a Woody Allen set and you realize that it's possible to shoot a four page dialogue scene in one setup. (laughs) And then, you know, you, you go on a Ron Howard set and you realize it's possible to do a four page scene with 25 setups. And, you know, then you, you work with Christopher Nolan and you realize that, how he works is he's got the whole thing storyboarded in his head and every time you shoot anything he's editing it in in real time in his brain and working out if it's going to work or not (laughs) or you work with someone like nicole who's much much more organic in the sense of she's shaping and refining it in real time but it's not it's not necessarily going to turn out that way because the whole thing is a sort of movable feast um and I think all of these all of these approaches are valid because the medium is personal. If you don't find your way into it, you're not going to make a personal film. And I, I think I think authorship as a filmmaker is important. You know, I think it's too it's too bigger. It's too sort of I don't know. It's too a kind of a it's too fortuitous a medium to not use it for that. Like yeah. you can use it for that. Am I right in thinking that Steven Spielberg let you direct a scene in? in- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, kind of. He he was he had this very you know he had this very advanced uh, technology where he, I I don't even know what it's called, but you have sort of you have screens on four sides of you, and you're standing in the middle of it holding a joystick like it's a computer game, and this is all a VFX thing. Yeah. And you can you can be the camera and move around and decide where you're going to shoot it. And he was doing a thing of a um, like the BFG coming down a hill, and I was I was being as I often am on film sets, sort of probably uh, rudely <laughs> nosy with the director. 
<laughs> and finding out what they're doing all the time and trying to look over their shoulder at the monitor and see what, what it is they're up to. And so I was asking him a lot of questions and he was like, all right, you have a go. <laughs> I don't think it made it into the movie. I don't know. <laughs> That'll be interesting working on those kinds of movies and, you know, the scale and, and, the, and the, mm-hmm. those kind of challenges and, um, you know, you've done it in the past. You've done it in the Spielberg, Steven Spielberg movie. You've done it in a Marvel movie. You've done it in an upcoming Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, is the challenge there like finding the humanity or whatever it is that, that the tethering human part in, in all this fantastical thing, things going around you? I mean, yes, it always is. But when, when they get very outlandish, some, sometimes you sort of, like, you know, it, it can um, it can turn into something slightly different, but I I think I, I think the sort of the, the 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 consistent thread is tell the story. Right. You know, am, am I being clear? Is the story working? Because if the story's not working, if you're not communicating the story, then the film's not going to work, and you've not done your job. So, you know, I always come back to that. Um, and I'll be a stickler for script issues. Like if, the, if there's something that doesn't add up with two scenes ago and we haven't shot it or we did shoot it, then I'll always, you know, I'll always find it sort of through logic um, and make sure that the story is holding together. That's the filmmaker in you. <laughs> That's the filmmaker. It is the filmmaker in me. Um, um, I'm the best I, I, person to say that. <laughs> I'll let you go. But I've noticed that, that you... Um, that you uh, you started you know obviously you're, you're writing directing the feature and and you produced as well you produced um, mm-hmm. what you did with with uh, your friend Dan and mm-hmm. is, is like is that sort of what you're gearing towards I mean I've, I've your 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 choice in movies already is is you know is is quite select you've got these things like Christine that's that's quite amazing and 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 different and and uh, and and now you're producing and and um, Tell me about that, and, and is that is that sort of the way we're going to see you go in terms of your choices and what you do and those kinds of you know you're it sounds like you're looking at things in filmmaking rather than just as an actor. Yeah, I think so. I think I've always been sort of moving towards that. I I um, you know it's nice to be able to facilitate ideas and make them come to fruition and yeah. and and help enable things in that respect. And I think it's important if I want to see the sort of films in the world that I want to see then I should probably help get them made um but I don't know producing it's hard <laughs> sorry it's really hard <laughs> and it's not you know I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a kind of uh inherently organized type of person so it can be quite difficult for me I know that I've got to do it but I, I do find it difficult I think um and I, I love directing and writing and I think that's sort of where I've always wanted to, you know, if I produce it as a means to doing that ultimately. Um, I noticed that you didn't uh, uh, obviously, well, I don't know, obviously because some people do it, but you don't, you don't have a role for yourself in, in your directorial debut. And is that just because no. <laughs> it's like, this is hard enough as it is. Uh, it's hard enough as it is. It, um, I, there's, I wouldn't want to do it. I, I never say never, but I don't want to, I, I wouldn't want to do it with my first film. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would never have cast myself in this film because that, that really would have been, uh, insane. Um, so, you know, luckily that, that wasn't a part of me. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen people do it though, right? Cause you worked on the yeah. right? I have, I have, and people manage it. It seems to me to be a bit like, you know, 
patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time for you know four months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds difficult. All right, well, you know, I'll let you go. I'll let you get back to uh, the world and and what's outside. I, I appreciate you taking the time to if not anything else, but just distract me from everything that's going on outside. And I really enjoy this conversation. Um, I really like sales from the loop and, and I'm, and I'm, um, I'm genuinely really looking forward to passing as well. Hopefully, uh, maybe, uh, if, uh, things are up and running, maybe we'll see it at a film festival one day or something. Yeah. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. I hope so. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much and take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye now.